This is the Gambling Gauchos. You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos. Talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. We've got everything you need. Money lines, memes, and matadors. Well, you want to quit, Ethan? That'll be the day. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro, The Money Line Matadors. The Casino Cowboys. The Parlay Picadors. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. You dig. With the gambling gauchos. Oh, and one more thing. It's all West Texas. It always has been. Welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Rowe. He's Kyle Jacobson recording live in the Cardinals Sports Center studio. You can gear up for football season or get some Matadors gear over at Cardinals Sports Center here in Lubbock in Plano or online. Joining us today, the GM of the Lubbock Matadors, Dustin McCorkle. Dustin, baseline expectations for this season. How far did you guys overshoot what you thought was going to go on? Uh, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to tell, uh, starting out what it was going to look like. Um, but our hopes were, we were going to have a thousand fans at every single game this year. Um, and, and that'd be kind of our, our trajectory starting point. And, uh, so I would say we over quadrupled our, uh, expectation there, um, with, with averaging over 4,000 fans a game and then, uh, almost hitting five thousand fans at our final season of the game so from an attendance standpoint fantastic uh i think if you asked our head investor uh and uh, managing partner uh michael hitchcock i think the sponsorships from the community uh businesses were over delivered on as well so and every aspect of what we could call what we did this year uh it was a great achievement and i was super proud um that we got to be a part of it as the season went on, the team certainly seemed to be playing better and better. And I know we missed the playoffs by just a little bit. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if this was two more matches or something, I think we could probably scrape up enough points to get in. And like, if you look at the last four or five matches, I mean, I don't know if anybody in the Lone Star Conference had more points than us. Um, so on the field, I know y'all didn't quite reach that goal, but talk about the on-field product and how successful that was this season. Yeah, we have to put this into perspective. We're a brand new team coming into the toughest conference that there is in the NPSL. Um, you know, national champions are in it. Uh, and then we have one of the hardest competitions that we have going on. And we finished the season at 6-4-2. and two. Um, So we had a winning record in the toughest conference as a brand new club um, that we had four months to kind of put this thing together. So I think uh, perspective on that is we – also over-delivered on the field as well. Um, who would have thought that we would even be in the conversation about playoffs? And uh, Coach did a great job. Our players bought into the system. And you're right. We won four of the last five games. 
tied one of those five. Um, if we had another two or three games, there's no question we were rolling in as the hottest team. Nobody wanted to play us uh, at that time. And what was really cool is we had to go up against the national champions the last two games of the season, once at their place, once at our place. And what was really cool, we beat them both times. And that second win kept them out of the playoffs. So, you know, when you talk about a story about what we were able to do on the field as well, I mean, uh, I, I'm can't be more excited. We, we barely missed the playoffs, but, you know, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, Hey, if we, uh, had gone to the playoffs, won, won the national championship year one. Uh, what's the bar for us in year two, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm very excited for what coach was able to do. I think from what I heard from players that had to come to Lubbock to play us, I mean, their best players on the other teams were stopping coach and I after most every single game and said, you know, A, complimenting us on the crowd and the Lubbock fans. Uh, but secondly, like, hey, would you mind looking at me next year? Like, I would love to come and play in front of this this group of people and, and be a part of what you guys are building. So uh, we were able to put Lubbock, Texas on the map this year. And a lot of it was due to our uh, corporate partners and our fan support. How does roster building work from year to year? I know that last year was your first year. So you're just kind of, I guess, throwing net and seeing what kind of fish you can get. Is the approach different year to year or – yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Rob. Uh, it, it is a little bit different um, in the sense that um, we were learning a lot of things. I think the biggest thing is for what we do, uh, we have a style of play that we're looking to implement. And so we got to go find players to go play that style. Um, the tough part is there isn't a draft uh, for us to go look at a small pool of candidates. We literally have the world at our disposal to be able to pick and choose from. So a lot of it is coaching relationships, which I think after this season were built stronger with the coaches for the players that came to play for us. And I think what we'll do is we'll take, we're having exit interviews right now with all the players that played with us gathering feedback. Um, but we're going to look at who's the core group of guys that a are talented on the field, but B represents our value system um, we're great in our community interactions and, uh, who are, who are those core group of people that we're bringing back? Because at the end of the day, uh, technically you could turn over your whole team if you wanted to, but we had some players that did some amazing things within our community. And I want Lubbock to see some of those core guys come back. And then with the new group of guys that we're going to be able to recruit to come play for us. Um, they're going to get to learn from those individuals who are actually a part of it from day one last year. And I think that's an important thing that we got to keep intact uh, because people will feel the realness behind that. One thing that I really appreciated y'all did this season was beyond just the 90 minutes on the pitch, y'all had a great social media presence. Y'all had the um, after parties after the match, win, lose, or draw. And then beforehand, you know, there was the tailgate on, uh, is it 69th Street, 70th Street? 73. 70th Street. And so it was a it was a fun atmosphere for for families, for college students, people that love the game of soccer, people that were maybe just being introduced. And you kind of talked about this a little bit with the fan support and corporate partnerships, but how does the sort of like community relations aspect compare to either what y'all expected coming into the season or other NPSL soccer communities across the state? Yeah, I would say um... – it was much better. I think that was one of the top things that I had 
on my list of things to do was to build uh, a connection piece. Uh, you know, you guys are an important piece to this. And I, I've tweeted about it and talked about it in some of my interviews, but this thing is only going to be as special as our corporate partners and our media partners make it, right? Um, if we make it a big deal, if we make it important, if we're talking about it, um, if we're sharing the stories that are happening uh, of, of the impacts that are happening with the youth and the community due to us coming in and getting involved, uh, that's what makes it special and that's what makes it big. Uh, so I would say there's a lot of places that do not get the coverage that we get. There's certainly teams and towns that we play in that um, they are the biggest thing that's there, similar um, uh, to us just in the soccer space. Uh, but nothing's going to compete against Texas Tech Athletics. Again, that's a year-round uh, event that's happening outside of when we're playing. Um, but I was so appreciative of, of all of the media stepping up um, and really telling the story and, and supporting us. And I think what was crazy was like game one was cool. But game six was way different, right? I mean, the amount of uh, cameras and, and videos and reporters and, and things that were down there uh, were, was way different. I think people caught on the wave and said, this is fun. This is cool. This is great for Lubbock. Um, but yeah, I think, I think all of it was intentional, um, you know, with us playing at a venue that doesn't allow us to sell beer. Uh, soccer and beer kind of go hand in hand, right? So what was the solve there? It was, hey, let's bring everybody together beforehand and create some relationships. And, you know, we saw the Mozos grow dramatically over the season. That started out as three guys that turned into over 30-something people. Um, and a lot of that was due to our block party. You know, those guys were coming in early and seeing uh, people wearing gear of other teams that they support. And they're like, oh, that must be a soccer fan. They end up talking, having a beer together, and then Next thing you know, like they're joining the Mozos and that group gets a little louder each and every game. So um, I, all of it was just super special. And then Buffalo Wild Wings coming on and hosting those after parties. I mean, if you went to the, the after party at our last game, the whole entire restaurant was red um, from our fans showing up and staying there till after midnight to interact with our players, say thank you and um, have a drink and, and let loose a little bit. So uh, that was so much fun to watch. And um, you know, and all, and all my coach and I were talking at the last, last, uh, after party and we were like, and if only we had a few more of these, like we just weren't ready to let it go yet. So, uh, yeah, man, it's exciting. And I think we're just, we're going to be taking a lot of lessons from this this year and building on it to make it even more special next year. Uh, we talked to the Mozos before that last game and I asked them why they moved from behind the home bench to the road bench. And they mentioned that you might've had something to do with that. Was that pure strategery or was that the coach, maybe uh, coach Gilbert saying, Hey, I can't talk to my guys. They move the Mozos. Yeah. It was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, they are a supporters group, but they're loud and they're fun. And, um, you know, in talking with them, I said, Hey, like, um, I know the idea is to rally up our team and get them excited, but, um, coach isn't one of those yeller type of coaches as it is. And he's like, man, I can't even hear myself think. And, you know, I just said, Hey, like, what would be a lot better is if we took that that noise and that fun and tried to disrupt the other team. So, yeah, after game two um, and the first two games were losses, it was like, hey, let's do something different here. And uh, so we moved them over there and we, we didn't lose after that. So uh, I don't know if, the, you know, we can attribute that to the to, to the Mozos moving. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much a little bit of that 
consistency wins and uh, I was not touching it after we started winning when they they moved over behind them yeah that was one of the coolest parts of the season was to see the mozos grow from like you said two or three guys you know who randomly showed up with a bullhorn to this entire like the equivalent of a student section in college sports or something and uh, after the last game one of the opposing players kind of came over and like waved and nodded like kind of just a nod of respect you know I guess the opponents could take sort of an antagonistic view toward that, but I, they probably thought it was cool that, you know, they were playing in that kind of atmosphere. So uh, yeah, the Mozos are definitely a great asset for the Matadors. Well, I've been saying from day one that uh, we're going to introduce soccer culture to Lubbock, Texas. And I think a lot of people who didn't know the sport didn't know what I was talking about, but uh, the players themselves definitely understand what it is because they follow European soccer and, and a lot of bigger clubs and all of them have their favorite teams and supporter groups are part of this. And yeah, I think that it was a disruption and some of the coaches uh, made comments too. And I'm sure it was not fun for them, but at the end of the day, like can appreciate, man, that's really, really cool that they're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, uh, the world cup, uh, before we get into next season, uh, the world cup was moved from the summer to the fall. And I've got sort of conflicting thoughts on that because now it's sort of competing with the football season, but also kind of allowed y'all to not have, you know, this international soccer competition during y'all's inaugural season. Uh, do the Matadors have anything planned with the community during the World Cup this fall? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked about that. I think uh, we are going to support soccer any way we can. And part of that is going to be hosting watch parties. Um, so it's actually part of the planning this week is, uh, you know, we have a lot of games happening in November. So we're going to be meeting. I've got, uh, you know, watch party locations, uh, partners that have stepped up and said, hey, like, think of us uh, when that comes on. So I think we're going to be doing some rotating watch parties that are going to be bringing everybody together. And again, what I love about the World Cup and soccer is that there's going to be people that aren't following the sport that because the U.S. is playing all of a sudden get curious to watch a game and they're going to fall in love with it. Right or you're going to get your casual soccer fan that turns into an avid soccer fan due to the world cup. So um, yeah, we're definitely going to be capitalizing on that momentum. Um, I think it allows us to have another point of connection with community um, and our fans. You know, um, again, we have a long off season. Last thing I want to do is have our fans not see us be present with things. So uh, fortunately we've been able to do three community events. We were at main event today, Got to meet with a bunch of families, which was awesome. But um, I am so World Cup is one of my favorite times of the year because it only comes once every four. And uh, we haven't gotten to watch the U.S. play in a while. So there is a lot of uh, anticipation and excitement. And uh, we are going to be stepping up big time to make sure that soccer, uh, both men's and women's, is promoted uh, within our community. And um, we're going to have some fun places for families to come join us. Um, what does your crew look like? I know you had what 38 interns during the summer. Yep. What does your crew look like uh, kind of in between seasons? Yeah, so we have a we have a core group of, of folks that have really stepped up and owned certain parts of our business, whether that be merch, retail, um, sponsorship, fulfillment help, um, and some of our ticket uh, requirements. So our goal is we're going to keep our again, we're same thing we're doing with the the players were doing that with our interns, right? Like um, who stepped up, who did a really good job, who was consistent. We're going to give some good feedback to them. Um, we're going to do evals. Part of this process is for them to understand what it's like working for a full-time for a team. 
Um, so they're going to get that from me. Uh, so they know what they're actually walking into and, and seeing what they can do better. So I think we'll be evaluating who uh, did a really good job for us, who wants to continue to move forward with us. Um, and there's going to be new groups of people coming in the sports management program at Tech. Uh, that relationship is staying intact. So uh, we will be doing new interviews with folks and figuring out who wants to do what. Um, but I think everybody was super proud of being able to say they're a part of the, the day one. Um, but it's a lot of work. So I'm excited to see who's like all in to continue on. And then um, maybe we get some new faces in. But uh, I've already got a couple of emails from students saying, hey, I'm coming back in the fall. Saw what you guys did during the summer and I want to be a part of it. So um, those are the type of people we're looking to work work with and uh, help out. And again, I'm just I'm grateful that we're able to provide a platform for students to earn some uh, credit without having to travel all over the place and you know, there's certain people that can't afford to do that. And so we're, we're having a cool solve there is uh, providing credits uh, for kids that are local. Yeah. Well, as we stated, you had a, a really successful first season here in Lubbock um, on the pitch, off the pitch. And I know you're already looking ahead toward next season. Um, season tickets going on sale soon. Or are they on sale already? How can people uh, get involved with the Matadors going into season two? Yeah. Well, so that was a big topic of conversation. Um, I think it was, it was crazy to hear some people asking like, are y'all going to be around next year? Um, and again, I think that's attributed to some of the past experience with, you know, semi-pro sports. Um, but we are absolutely are going to be back year over year. This, this thing is not going anywhere. It's only going to grow. Um, so something that we talked about, you know, also we want to be a good community partner. Uh, everything in this world is going up. I think it's pretty standard for, um, in our business for tickets and everything else to go up as well. But what we came out and said was we're going on sale, went on sale last week and we are staying with uh, flat pricing through September. So anyone paying attention now um, that wants to get involved, uh, wants to be a part of this, we're going to keep pricing super affordable. Um, so anyone who's interested to go get season tickets, check it out. It's through September. It will be uh, same pricing as last year, uh, only a hundred dollars for our premium season ticket that comes with a jersey um which we're going to be redoing our jerseys for next year so anyone who got in year one is getting a collectible that's one of one um so i'm really excited for that uh but we're going to have some new perks that are coming out with benefits um and i'm i'm just really excited for that the other piece is that we're doing for season tickets is a, a monthly payment plan so uh even though it's only a hundred dollars you know uh want to make it super easy for folks so for 10 bucks a month, you can uh, go get a season ticket right now uh, if you get involved early. So uh, monthly payment plans and benefits are up on our website. Go to loveitmatadors.com. Uh, you'll be able to see all the ticketing info there. That's awesome. We th That was probably my only minor concern was after I went to the first game and saw the crowd, it, just in the back of my mind, I was like, I hope these people didn't just come once to see what it was like and then not show up again. But like you said, we stayed at 4,000, 4,500 all season. And like you alluded to, I think some people even still feel like they missed out. And so hopefully it grows even more going into next year. And I mean, that whole side of Lowry Field was almost full. And I mean, that'd be just insane if we could like completely pack it and, you know, have a sellout or something like that. But uh, we're yeah. looking forward to year two. I mean, I think I speak for Rob and myself that, you know, we're definitely going to be back. We loved it. Yeah. Well, I think, um, again, if you're looking for something fun to do, uh, 
doesn't matter what age group you're in. Um, that was what was cool as I saw retired folks, uh, young kids, college students, working professionals. Uh, there, we have a group of folks for everyone. Um, and it's, it is something fun to rally behind. Um, that's really exciting. I think the other cool little teaser piece is I am getting hit up by clubs uh, outside of the Lone Star Conference and MPSL that are wanting to schedule some friendly matches. So again, there's a chance that we could be uh, adding a game or two next season um, that no other MPSL club is getting to get uh, because of the support that we've gotten this year. So that's exciting. Um, And I don't, I don't think people may understand how big that is, but uh, us in the soccer world, like um, the fact that I'm getting these conversations going and and people are excited about it. We might be bringing in some bigger uh, names next year to play us. That's crazy too, because you know, it's, it's love it. It, Just the general vibe here and nationally is uh, why would we go to Lubbock? But people are noticing and seeing, and Hey, that's a good atmosphere. And, and where Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas, what is that? So, yeah. So I I think is is that warm ups like before the season? uh, It probably will happen during our season. Oh, cool. Um, So when we have a, some downtime, uh, we may be able to get one scheduled in there. Uh, awesome. Again, with our league, uh, you don't get your full roster most of the time until two weeks into the season. Uh, so that's why the first two weeks of games are always a little bit of a wash. Right. Even if you're winning, it, you, you can't really say whether you're good or not yet. You got to wait till about four weeks in to be able to determine what kind of team you have. Um, and so it, it, you guys would know better than anybody, right? We got the cactus going right now. Um, <laughs> I had said when I saw that, like, there's so many people that are outside our city that say, why Lubbock? And it's like, because we got the best fans in the world and we know how to build a culture out here. Um, And I don't think people really understand what a culture build looks like that are that take it for granted that are bigger cities and just assume that because they have more things to do in their city, that their city is better than Lubbock, Texas. Uh, It doesn't get better than the people out here. And uh we, we've seen that with our, our Twitter explode with cactuses, including ours, uh, past couple of weeks. Awesome. Well, uh, I know you mentioned it earlier, but one more time, tell our listeners where they can follow along with the Matadors on social media, your website, where they can buy season tickets and all that good stuff. Yeah, please go check us out, LubbockMatadors.com. We'll be updating the website regularly on what's going on happening there. But uh, follow us on our social handles. We're across every single platform there is. Our socials are pretty cool. Um I think you can even see this uh, past week, there's a FIFA game mod that has two NPSL clubs in it, uh, us being one of them. And uh, it was really cool. I got to send the two docs and Forza, um, the, the photo of, of the player in the game. It's like, who would have thought your company was going to be in a video game yeah. when you said yes to this, right? That's so awesome. uh, special stuff. Go follow us on our socials. Uh, a lot of fun and you'll get up to date on where we're at and where we're going to be throughout uh, the off season. Very cool. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, like I said, we're going to be following along during the off season. I'm sure we'll see you at some of those world cup watch parties and uh, we're excited for year two. We're going to be back out there at Lowry field uh, to support the Matadors next spring. Awesome. Appreciate it. Matadors nation. So that was Dustin McCorkle, the GM of the Lubbock Matadors. I know you and I, Kyle, are very excited. Uh, Great, great atmosphere. I thought the last game was better than the first game. 
uh, which is a testament to what they did this season. Can't wait for it to get going again. But before that, we've got an entire college football season to get to. Um, And I'm, I'm really excited about Texas Tech this year. But just as a whole, I'm excited for college football to be back. Absolutely. I'm going to Rio Dosa for week zero. Second year in a row I've done that, so I guess you can call it an annual tradition. But even though the games that week are horrible, it's like Nebraska versus Northwestern is the headliner. I think they're playing in Ireland. But I want to watch it. I want to bet on it. So let's go. I'm pumped. Hey, if you're pumped about coding and STEM, (laughs) that was probably one of my worst transitions ever. I was just uh, co- for you to hit one. Ninjas teaches kids ages 5 to 14 how to level up their coding, STEM, and engineering skills in a fun, hands-on environment. Of course, we've been promoting their summer camps on the Gambling Gauchos. Hopefully, our listeners took advantage of those. I think those are probably winding down, but they think they've got some year-round programs as well. So check them out, CodeNinjas.com. Your kids can learn a whole lot of really cool things there. I don't know what they have in the way of after-school programs if you can't squeeze in one of these summer camps. But check out our friends at Code Ninjas. they got some cool stuff going on out there. And it is not only an educational deal for your kids, they'll also have a lot of fun doing it. Wonderful. So you approached me about an idea yeah. where we discuss on the podcast what every Big 12 team has to do in order to win. What has to go right for them in order to win the Big 12 championship? Yeah, and I think a lot of times when people do season previews, they just kind of give you what they think will happen. And we'll do that too. We have season future episodes and everything else. But I want to go through every Big 12 team and say, this is the perfect season for this team. Here's how they can do it. And we'll start at the very bottom and go to the top. Sounds good. And you'll give us the odds. For each of these, so we're going basically 10 up to one based on the odds Vegas gives them to win the Big 12 championship. Yeah, these are consensus odds. Uh, I'm going to give you the whole 10 just so we can kind of be on the same page here from the bottom. Uh, The Kansas Jayhawks, 25,000 plus 25,000. It's an extra digit there, an extra two digits really from anybody else. And uh, then you have uh, Texas Tech plus four two three six four thousand two hundred thirty six, and then it cuts in half. West Virginia at plus twenty five hundred, Kansas State plus eighteen hundred, Iowa State plus fifteen hundred, TCU plus fourteen hundred. So they're in fifth right now, TCU, and those are really long odds for Texas Tech, in my opinion, based on what Kansas State, Iowa State, and TCU have. And then the favorites, Oklahoma State plus 624, Baylor plus 574, Texas plus 250, Oklahoma plus 200. If the conference championship is Oklahoma and Texas, I'm going to be so upset. I don't think it will be, but I'm going to be so upset. Why would you be upset? Because it's the two schools leaving, and especially if this is their final year, they go out and on top, and it's one of them especially if Texas wins the big 12 and it's their final year and then they just bounce and never come back. It would just be a little bit upsetting. All right, let's go to Kansas. Kyle for Kansas to win the big 12, they must. I'm going to try to take this proposition seriously. Okay. So in, me too. I have some points. Indulge me for about 30 seconds here. Okay. 
For Kansas to win the Big 12, here's what needs to happen. Texas Tech needs to live up to their ninth place preseason ranking. They need to be not very good at all. Yes. West Virginia needs to be pretty much as bad as they've been under Neil Brown, a team that lost to Matt Welsh three times. They need to be no good. TCU, they're replacing their greatest coach in program history. They've got question marks at the quarterback position. We have no idea what kind of culture Sonny Dykes has in place there. They need to be really bad. And then let's look at a team like an Iowa State losing a lot. They lose Brock Purdy, a four-year starter. Lose Charlie Kolar. They lose Brees Hall. Chase Allen. Chase Allen. Mike Rose. They're losing a lot. Yeah. So you've got to hope that Matt Campbell doesn't have a strong rebuild or a strong reload. And then a team that people are expecting a lot from, like a Baylor or Oklahoma State, the two teams that played for the title last year, if they're kind of middling programs that don't reload as well as we think they might. So Kansas basically needs to wind up better than three teams, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and let's say TCU, because I'm not high on TCU. If Kansas is actually legitimately better than those three teams, it goes 3-0, and and then goes Splitsville with the top third of the conference in some form or fashion then upset some teams in the middle of the conference. If there's tons of parity and a two-loss, three-loss conference team is the second bid into the Big 12 title game, maybe it's Kansas. But I'm smirking as I say that. I'm not putting any money on that. No. I don't know. Kansas has nine players returning, nine starters on offense returning. They took Oklahoma to the brink at least into the second half. Several of their final Big 12 games were very close. I think Lance Leipold is a good coach. Um, they got a they were awful on offense last year, worst offense in the Big 12. They were worse on defense, one of the worst defenses in the country. If they're going to win the Big 12 this year, they have to be better against the run. And they went and got Lonnie Phelps Jr. All Mac from Miami University and Keenan Caldwell's coming back. Um, only 13 tackles last year, but he's 6'2, 325. So if they're going to be good against the run, you have to kind of put Lonnie Phelps and Keenan Caldwell and a couple of those linebackers in there, and you have to be better on offense. And with a bunch of people returning, and if they just hand the keys to Jason Bean, who was like 17 last year when he started, I don't know. I think you could put a few things together. Yeah, uh, and I will say it, it's a huge stretch to get there on yeah. a Big 12 championship. I mean, I don't really take that proposition very seriously, but you're right. Their last three games last season, they beat Texas. And then their last two losses, I think it was West Virginia and TCU, were one possession games. So they were competitive in the final third of the Big 12 season last year. They would have to be competitive in seven or eight games instead of three, and they'd have to basically win like every one-score game they're in to get to seven and two or something in the Big 12. It's not happening. No, but but you, asked, you asked me how it could happen. It could. All right, so let's move on to the second longest odds, Texas Tech. Generally, we would just wait till the end to do Texas Tech because we're Texas Tech guys, but – True to the odds, plus 4,000. Uh, when you're in Redos, are you going to put some sprinkle on that or what? I might. I think I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think 
you're the ninth best team in the conference. I don't think your odds should be almost twice as long or more than twice as long as West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State, TCU. So I think there's some value there. You know, if you wanted to take that and then in early November, if you're still technically in the hunt, do like a prop swap for better than yeah. plus 4,200, then maybe that's an okay bet. I, I think you're going to surprise some people this year. And, you know, I've been bullish on Texas Tech with Joey McGuire. I, I'm willing to give him time, of course, but I also, unlike some fans, I'm not completely resigned to the idea that you have to be bad in year one before things start to turn around. I think you right. potentially have some place, some pieces in place that you could be good. I don't know if you're good enough to make a Big 12 championship uh, appearance this season, but do I think you could have your first winning season in conference play since 2009? Yes. I don't know how likely it is. Do I think you could go maybe six and three or seven and two and nab that second spot if everybody is six and three or seven and two? Potentially. I mean, a lot has to go right. And so that, that was a question put to me. So what has to go right? Last year's defense, let's take out the Texas game and the TCU game and the OU game. Defense was stout. I think your defense gave you an opportunity to win every game besides those three. Is that fair? Yes. The offense traded three different starting quarterbacks, which is never good for rhythm, continuity, chemistry. No. So let's let's start with this proposition. You have one of the best running back tandems in the conference. You have the same starting quarterback who plays at a high level for all 12 games. Your defensive coordinator capitalizes on eight or nine good games last season, and now you play good in 10 or 11 games. And instead of you know, having three or four games where you'd have to score 56 to win, you only have one of those. Same deal. If, you're in, if you win four games, lose two, and your last three are one-possession games, now you have to win pretty much every one-possession game you're in, I think. But I think it's somewhat feasible. Again, it takes maybe some of these other programs taking a step back or not taking a step forward like we think they will. But if one of these three quarterbacks emerges and is a bona fide top quartile of the Big 12 type quarterback and the weakest position group, the offensive line is serviceable, defense gets a ton of takeaways, Tyree Wilson is always in the backfield, I think you could be a, a pretty tough out this season. Uh, look at Baylor last year. I, because I think that's kind of a route that Texas Tech can take. All right, so you you hammer Kansas. Then you win a close game against Iowa State. You beat West Virginia. You beat Texas by a touchdown. Close game, one possession. Uh, you lose to TCU. And then you beat Oklahoma. It was You beat Oklahoma by a possession. And then you kick the field at the end. Baylor did. Uh, beat Kansas State by 10. And then beat Texas Tech by three. So, obviously, it's cliche to say to win the Big 12, you have to win Big 12 games. But you have to do what Baylor did last year. You have to win the close ones, and you have to figure out a way. Uh, and I completely double down on everything you've said. You have to have consistent quarterback play, which you've not had since 2017. And that wasn't really even consistent on the field. It was just one guy playing every week. Uh, you have to have the running game, which means your offensive line has to be way better than it has been. Uh, and then just individually on defense, you have to have Tyree Wilson be Tyree Wilson that he was against Mississippi State. You have to have 
uh, muddy waters play the whole season, not just the first four games. Uh, you have to have Rabbit step up. You have to have Reggie Pearson healthy the whole year. So a, a lot of things have to go right. Um, but I think of these four teams, if I was legitimately going to put something down, it would either be on Texas Tech or Kansas State of the four teams we're talking about today. I agree with Kansas, you. Kansas, I don't think they're ready. Uh, Texas Tech, I think, has the pieces if everything goes right all year and they stay healthy. Uh, and then Kansas State, I think, has the pieces too, but we'll talk about them in a second. Yeah, I mean, think of it this way. Baylor won Big 12 title. I think that was a good comp as far as the steps you have to take from Baylor in 2020 to Baylor in 2021. I think that's essentially what you have to do. Yeah. I don't think Gary Bohannon or Shapin was just an all-world quarterback last year. They didn't need that. They had great offensive line play, a stout defense. Yes. And I don't think those will be your specific strengths, but if you can zig while everybody else zags, if you have the most prolific offense in the conference, which you might under Zach Kidley if you get that quarterback play and a defense with, you know, maybe they're not shutting people out, but if they generate a ton of takeaways, maybe you're playing with a certain formula that can win you enough games to make it to Arlington. You know, I think you also win your home conference games. Yeah, you get Texas and OU at home. So it's Texas and OU at home. That's Kansas, Baylor, and West Virginia. You get five home games, conference. The top three odds-wise to win the Big 12, you get in Lubbock. So yeah. let's say you go two and one there. You know, maybe that's where you start. And then I think you probably have to split Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and then split TCU and Iowa State. Get yeah. two of those four. Okay, let's move on to West Virginia. This should be a fun conversation because I know how bearish you are on Neil Brown. Um, yeah, Neil Brown's I, the worst coach in the Big 12. Yeah, I think I think that's where I listed him on our list earlier this summer. Um, they The vibe I get from West Virginia fans is that they're high on JT Daniels. I'll put it this way, I'm not high on any quarterback who's at his third school. I've been trying to think all summer a guy who has that same career arc who was successful at school number three, and I haven't thought of one. Do you know anybody? No, and really you don't see a lot of people do what JT Daniels did. Now, he went from USC to Georgia, Mm -hmm. got injured, and then replaced by like a walk-on mm-hmm. and then reconvened with his offensive coordinator from his first school. So it's a little bit different, I think, with JT Daniels because he went from powerhouse to powerhouse and then has dropped to West Virginia, but he's re-meeting Graham Harrell. Uh, but he, he's the key to the Mountaineers, right? Because Daigie was not good last year. And then their second-string quarterback could only run. So if you have JT Daniels that can have the leap that USC did in their first year with Graham Harrell, I mean, you're obviously going to have to be good on offense to win the Big 12. Yeah, and the defense of JT Daniels would be similar to what you said. He was basically a senior in high school when he started at USC. I think at both stops he got injured and then ultimately replaced. So you could say, well, he's – He's still the five-star guy that he always was. Now he's just a little bit older if he stays healthy. What needs to happen for him, and I'm, I'm still hung up on three schools in one collegiate career. I'm not 
I'm not bullish on that idea at all. But if he turns into West Virginia, like what Will Greer turned into from Florida to West Virginia, and he is a legit five-star NFL-type quarterback, I think that's where it pretty much starts and ends with West Virginia. If he's if he's a mediocre quarterback, if he's a league average quarterback, they're not going to win the Big 12. Right. But I think in terms of quarterback rankings in this conference, it's wide open. And maybe he needs, you know, the right offensive coordinator. Maybe he needs to just stay healthy and he'll be that. But I'm in wait and see mode on a program that went 0 3 against Matt Wells under their current head coach. But I think if West Virginia is going to win the Big 12 and this plus 2,500 or plus 2,600 is going to cash. It's going to be because JT Daniels is basically like Will Greer was, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in this league. Yeah, and I think West Virginia could be eight and four uh, and be in the conference championship because they might lose twice in the priests in the non conference. Yeah, I think there's something to that as well. They're going to be more battle tested at the beginning of Big 12 play than just about anyone. When you play two legit power five opponents, yeah, yeah, two legit power five opponents before you start playing the games that actually count versus, you know, some of these schools only have one power five opponent. I don't think anybody has zero power five opponent or like Kansas plays Duke and Kansas isn't going to factor into this anyway, but here's their first five. You ready? Mm -hmm. Pitt on the road, Kansas in Morgantown, Towson in Morgantown. Virginia Tech on the road, Texas on the road. Brutal. I mean, they're legitimately three and two is a very good start for West Virginia. Uh, and I think if you want to win the Big 12, if you're West Virginia, you have to get that first road game against Texas uh, because then you're setting up Baylor at home, Tech on the road, TCU at home, Iowa State on the road. And then home games against Oklahoma and Kansas State, and then on the road in Stillwater. So, again, winning all your home conference games, they've got five at home, uh, and then figuring out a couple to win on the road. Texas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I think. Tough schedule. But you're right. If that non-con prepares them for – UT in week one of the conference schedule, and they start it with a win there and then refresh over the bye week. Maybe the schedule plays to their advantage as well. But at the end of the day, if they're hoisting the Big 12 trophy in Arlington, I think you and I will say to ourselves, maybe Neil Brown was actually pretty solid and he scraped together seven wins with terrible quarterback play. And now that he has JT Daniels, the best quarterback in the conference, he was able to win 10 games. They're 15 and 11 and Big 12 play through his first three years. That's not horrible. 11 and 15, sorry. Oh, yeah, that's not so good. Yeah, they're 11 and 15. They have a losing record. They had, But they had one season. I think they won seven games, won the Liberty Bowl, kind of like what you did last year. Like They weren't bad, but they weren't Big 12 contenders either. No. Kansas State is the last of the four that we'll cover today. Yeah, and I, I think Kansas State has a, le- a legitimate chance. The first three, probably not. I think Kansas State has a legitimate chance to win the Big 12. Why is that? I think their schedule sets up well. Uh, they've been good against Oklahoma. They get them early. I think that's one of the reasons they've been good against Oklahoma. You have Texas Tech at home if you're Kansas State. And then Farmageddon is early October before a bye week. And then you get to go to Fort Worth after a bye, 
You get Oklahoma State and Texas at home. And then you have to go to Baylor. Not a great home field advantage, even though they think it is. Uh, To Morgantown. If West Virginia is good, that'll be a really tough game late in the season. If they're bad, it's not going to be a tough game. Uh, And then you get Kansas, the Sunflower Showdown, at home to end the season. So I think the – legitimately – if Baylor takes a step back, if West Virginia is what I think they are, and then Kansas, you have an opportunity to, for your final three games to be big wins and have big momentum going into the championship game. Yeah, without a clear favorite at the top, I mean, OU and Texas have the best odds, but neither one of those teams I don't think is really viewed nationally as like a playoff contender or anything like that. Let's say you split those two. Everybody else in the conference you know, has pretty significantly larger odds. And so if you split those two and then go three and one against the four teams that are below them, which I think is very doable for Kansas State, yeah. I think Kansas State just takes care of business against the teams that are worse than them. That's a seven and two conference record. That might be enough to get uh, a seat at the table in Arlington and then anything can happen. I'm, I'm with you. I'm surprised that they have the seventh longest odds. I would, I would love to have a prop bet designed like will Kansas state finish higher than Iowa state TCU, probably even Baylor. If you gave me some good plus money on it. Yeah. I would take that prop bet. Cause I think that they're a top half team in the conference. There are a lot of people's dark horse pick to win it based on what I've seen on Twitter. I think plus 1800 is pretty good value. Like I think they have a somewhat decent shot to be there at the end. And then you could hedge in the conference title game. I think Kleiman has a good culture there. They have yes. maybe the most dynamic running back or player in the league with Deuce Vaughn. Yes. I think similar to West Virginia, it's all about the quarterback. If Adrian Martinez fumbles it 25 times this season, they're not going to win the Big 12. But if he takes care of the ball and is coached up to be a somewhat dynamic playmaker at the quarterback position, I could totally see them having an offense capable of doing some damage. Yeah, and I think uh, Kleiman is a guy who – focuses on the trenches and they're going to be sound that Kansas state teams are just sound. Um, You have Deuce Vaughn. If Adrian Martinez, like, look, you look at Texas tech, Kansas state and West Virginia that we've talked about today. If any of these three quarterbacks, Shuck Martinez, JT Daniels, wildly overplay their past, those three teams can bolt up into the top of the conference. If they don't, they're going to be where they're projected to be. Uh, You also have Malik Knowles, who is a really good returner, um, also receiver. And then Felix, who beat Texas Tech single-handedly in the second half. Thank goodness. Drew the penalty and the safety at the end. Um, you also have some linebackers in Will Honus and Daniel Green. I think their defense is really good uh, in the back end. By the way, another quarterback is on his third school, and he goes to Kansas State. Can you name the quarterback in his first two schools? It's a trick is, this, is it Colin Klein? It's not Colin Kine. Because he 
was a former quarterback who is probably co- coached at multiple schools by now. No, no, no. Current player, okay. former quarterback is true. Uh, so he plays a different position now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know the school he started at? Sure. TCU. Oh, is um, hang on, don't tell me. Uh, the DeSoto kid. What's his name? Oh, uh, hang yeah, on. He, Sean, he Sean Robinson. Sean Robinson went to Missouri. Now he's back at Kansas State. Is he playing, playing left safety. guard? Safety. Oh, okay. Yeah, left guard. Yeah, he's playing safety this year. So, I look, I, I think they still have some holes. Obviously, that's why they're at the bottom of the conference. But Malik Knowles is electric. Is he a returner? Is he a receiver? You have to figure it out. Um, you have several running backs behind Deuce Vaughn that I think can provide some impact as well. Um, and then it, it's Adrian Martinez. He's 6'2", 220, right? 64% passer. 8,500 yards, 45 touchdowns, 30 interceptions at Nebraska. Uh, but also 2,300 rushing yards and 34 touchdowns, 35 rushing touchdowns. How many fumbles? A lot. That, that, that's my only problem with him. You can tell me he's, he's an athletic, talented player, but it's the turnovers that doomed him a lot in Nebraska. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Of the four teams we covered today, if you're looking for a value pick, I think Kansas State is probably the play there. Yeah, and if you're just looking at the schedule again, um, you do get some battle testing. I think Tulane will be a tough game. Uh, but Missouri, Power 5 competition. And then your early schedule, Oklahoma on the road, Iowa State on the road. If they could win two out of three of their first three Big 12 games before the bye, I really do think they're in a good position. That's Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. I think so, too. So on our next episode, we'll get the next tier of teams, kind of the middle of the pack. Iowa State plus 1,600, TCU plus 1,400, and then Oklahoma State plus 600, kind of where that conversation gets a little more serious. So we'll be previewing those on our next episode as we kind of do our look around the Big 12 here. Yeah. What do you think of Pac-12 media days? I thought... Actually, before you get into that, yeah, let me uh, give a shout out here to our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams. Since Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyavkov, whose whose name I think I butchered, I thought it was Klyavkov. Yeah, Apparently it's, it's Klyavkov. Oh, if he wants to sue uh, the Big I Twelve, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm still wrong. Yeah, but if he wants to sue the Big Twelve for tampering, which Maybe he will. Well, actually, I hope he doesn't commission Barnett, Howard, and Williams because then they'd probably present a winning case. But right. maybe if the Big 12 needs to defend against tampering charges, there we yeah, go. This. Then they should call Barnett, Howard, and Williams, a law firm started by three Texas Tech grads. Their office in Fort Worth, right by the Big 12 headquarters in Irving. But they handle cases all across Texas. They're one of the only law firms in Texas that is certified for Title IX student representation. They've defended students, including scholarship athletes, in Title IX litigation at all of the major universities across the state. They hope you never need them, but they are here if you do. 
You can learn more about Barnett, Howard & Williams by visiting their website, bhwlawfirm.com. And also pleased to announce that they will be the exclusive sponsor of a new, uh, kind of new, we've done a little bit this summer, but we'll be rolling out Gambling Gauchos After Dark every Saturday night to kind of recap the college football of the day. And Barnett Howard and Williams is going to be the sponsor of Gauchos After Dark. So we're very excited to have them with us through football season. Very excited. Okay. Kliakov, Klivkov, Commissioner K, whatever his name is. Yeah, I didn't I didn't look. What was he supposed to say? Right? What was he supposed to go out and, and tell the people? I thought it was fine what he said. I wish he would have doubled down instead of walking back the line that everyone is freaking out about. Uh, you know, Mandel, capital, capitals, all caps, wow. On the, hey, the Big 12 said they were open for business, but that doesn't mean we want to shop there. Like, fine. Okay, that's fine. That's a good line. How many times did he rehearse that in the bathroom mirror before exactly. picking the podium? It took him five weeks and four ghostwriters to come up with that. Like, if he tweets that the day after Big 12 Media Days, awesome. That is that is a good line. But to have a zinger five weeks later and then to walk it back right after he says it is not a position of strength. Like, it doesn't make you look good. And so when when Dodd and Thamel and Mandel and all the national writers are talking about how awesome it was, it wasn't. It was a lame line. It took him five weeks to do. Yeah, I, I don't I'm, know. I'm sure it was planted with the coordination of all the Pac-12 propagandists that we love to hate, whether it's Mandel, Canzano, all these guys that are just carrying the water for that conference. Yeah. Because God forbid the region of the country that cares the least about this sport has some teams that have to play teams in the middle time zone of the country. I thought it I thought it made him look weak, flustered. Like your mark was a very just business. Like, yeah, yeah we're, we're open for business. The landscape is changing. We're going to position ourselves the best way we can. Klivkov, Klivkov was just whining the whole time. It's like he's mad that somebody spilled his milk. And it wasn't the Big 12 that ruined your conference. No. It, it happened from within when USC um, put the kibosh on expansion last summer. And when USC and U- UCLA wanted to leave for the Big 10, that's why you're in the position now. It's not the Big 12. And... I mean, this. Uh, I saw this tweet. I wish I could remember who it was from. Over the last 13 years, the Pac-12 took a team from the Big 12. The Big 10 took a team from the Big 12. The SEC has now taken three teams from the Big, four teams from the Big 12. Oh, yeah. Um, the minute the Big 12 even considers taking a team from another conference, it's how dare they all be talking to my lawyers? How dare they destabilize us? Yeah. What are we like? The Big 12 is not allowed to do anything that the other four conferences are allowed to do. Yeah. And the whole time he's like, uh, Big Ten's great partners. Want to continue work with the Big Ten? Like they just stole your top two teams. Well, your your top brand and another team. (laughs) Your two LA teams. Yeah. It's so much of it. What was the whole thing, too? Did you see the new news that they want to play neutral site in Los Angeles? Who's going to watch it? That doesn't give you Los Angeles. You can't get the fan bases of the schools in Los Angeles to go to games. Like UCLA and USC's games are empty. You can't put Utah versus Oregon State 
or Cal in the Rose Bowl and anybody's going to show up. It's no. like people in your conference don't care about football. I'm sorry. Unless it, unless they just want to tourist, you know, a, a, to fill it up that way. But what does that do for TV? That doesn't do anything. It's still so, going to be the same audience. So much of what he said. Okay, I go back to the, the, the timing on this was great. So the night that Brett Yormark has announced his Bowlesby's replacement, you and I did a, an episode. And I said to you in that episode, if it makes sense, dollars wise for USC to go to the Big Ten, they will. And yeah. the next day, out of nowhere, that news broke. Yes. And in the press release announcing Brett Yormark as the hire, I mean, there was all this language that we went over about the shifting landscape of collegiate athletics and the business of college athletics. And it made me think for the first time, the people in charge at the Big 12 get it. Now, whether they win after realignment is over or not, we'll see. But they at least woke up and could smell the coffee. The Pac-12, if they understand what's going on in the landscape of collegiate athletics, refuses to publicly acknowledge it. Because he's still talking about academic excellence and the student athlete. And hey, that'd be great if this was all about the student athlete. Right. But it's not. No, it's about TV dollars. And when you present to them, hey, each school is going to make 30 million. And then the Big 12 presents to Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, hey, you'll make 45 million. They're all going to take the 45 million over 30 million. Yes. It's just a matter of time. Yes. And the whole thing was, oh, well, we'll get a, a, a streaming deal and we'll look into a streaming deal to make up the difference. <laughs> no, because if you look into a streaming deal, Klykov, what does the Big 12 do? They get a streaming deal too, and then it's still that's you what still have to make up the difference. Every single thing that they propose, the Big Twelve can counter. Like there's yes. like, oh well, well, we can do Pac twelve after dark where there's no competition. Okay, if they're Mountain Time Zone schools or the two Arizona schools, which are on Pacific Time until early to mid November, are in the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve can play Pac twelve after dark. Or you can play at eight p.m. in the Central Time Zone. Yeah. Like okay, if the Four Corners and BYU are there, that's five teams in the Mountain or Pacific Time Zone. Yes. Or like you said, people in Lubbock would probably sign up for an 8 p.m. kickoff. And so they have nothing. And the streaming deal works against a conference where there's... Okay, so here's how the Pac-12 could survive. If ESPN really likes Pac-12 After Dark, no competition, or something like that, that's great. They but have- a, a streaming deal would benefit a conference where there, you have a bunch of rabid fans that absolutely cannot miss one of their team's games on a Saturday and they'll buy the streaming platform that the games are on. The PAC 12 is fifth, like by far in the power five in terms of fan interest. Yes. None of them are going to sign up for Disney plus or Apple TV or any of that to watch Oregon state. I'm sorry. They're just not, they're not. Now would the sec do that. Yeah. Cause their fans are rabid. Yeah. Would Ohio state do that. Yes. You'd have a million subscribers overnight just from Ohio state, but not for Colorado football. Sorry. No. When well, like his whole deal. Yeah. Also, I guess he's talking about the behind the scenes conversations because the big 12 has not said anything about expansion beyond the we're open for business. And I thought that was in response to basically anything TV partners mm-hmm. expansion. I didn't think, and maybe I'd have to go back and listen to that again, but I didn't think your mark was 100% talking about expansion. 
But even if he was, that's the only comment he's had on expansion. And I think there was some maybe comments afterwards, after the initial press conference where he talked to a few reporters. But even so, if media day is the only thing he said, and he said it twice, how is that destabilizing the Pac-12 at all? And that's just a response from Klyakov. And again, respond when it happens. Why are you waiting two and a half weeks? And I guess there has been a volley of interaction between the schools and the Big 12 that has not been accurately reported. Uh, You have seen some, you know, Board of Regent meetings or you've seen the the West Virginia guy tweeting out or Shear tweeting out or a, a few others, but there's not been like a Big 12 writer who's carried the water for Big 12 expansion is just volleying shots. No. I think Lykov is responding to Big 12 Twitter. And it, it's bizarre. It's bizarre because, you know, he it was almost accusatory. He was like, I've got copies of the correspondence between the Big 12 presidents and some of our members. And so he's whining about that. It was like, do you, okay, do you have copies of the correspondence yeah. between UCLA's president and the Big 10? Like, right. why are you so mad at us? I don't know. Or or Oregon's correspondence with the Big Ten. Yeah, like they're obviously trying to leave as hard as they can, just not to the Big 12. Yes. Uh, That that was the other thing that I thought was interesting was at Big 12 media days, it it seemed apparent that your mark and the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, have a good professional, personal relationship. Both ways, because Kevin Warren talked about your mark too. Yeah. In media days. And then Klavkov basically refused to answer a question about a betrayal of trust. And maybe that was a question about the future of the Rose bowl. And Dennis Dodd with CBS was like, why can't the Rose bowl be between the big 10 and the big 12 champ moving forward? And so like, that's the other thing. If, if you need an ally outside of just the big 12 or the PAC 12, if the big 10 is pulling for you, I, I saw this theory. I think it's a valid one. The big 10 does not want to be, publicly responsible for dealing a death blow to the Pac-12. Right. So if they want Oregon and Washington, they basically want the four corners to go to the Big 12 first, and then they can play Mr. Nice and be like, oh, well, Oregon and Washington need a home now. I guess we'll take them. But they don't want to be the ones that just decimate the conference. Right. And But if that's the case, I mean, yeah, why can't the Big 12 be the Rose Bowl partner with the Big 10? And why can't you have a scheduling alliance with the Big 10 and give the TV network partners – great non-con matchups with you know Michigan versus Oklahoma State or Utah versus Nebraska or you know something that's compelling in that in that same vein yeah agreed I think you're still in a good position like nothing I've seen at Pac-12 media days or in the weeks leading up to it made me change my mind on that and the CBS report that industry sources in in the TV world say that basically the Pac-12 ceiling is 30 million yeah and maybe they can put a Band-Aid on it if Oregon and Washington want the unequal revenue distribution and they feel like they can make enough. But I don't know why – I still don't know why Arizona, Colorado no. would sign up for that. Well, and look, ESPN, if they sign a deal with the Pac-12, it can't be for huge money. I mean, I guess it could be. But the only reason they would do that is to kill the Big 12. Because yeah, the, the Pac-12 is their third. The SEC is number one. 
Yeah. And then the ACC is locked in and locked in at a higher rate than 30 million until 36. So why would why would ESPN go over 30 and not make it worth their while for the Pac-12? I just don't understand that. Now, I will say not to uh, pat myself on the back here, but what you're just talking about with the Big Ten and the Big 12 together, kind of in some scheduling alliances and whatever else, and then the ACC and the SEC kind of tying in together, and we kind of form two leagues that go to a 16-team playoff. One of us wrote about that on KKM.com months ago. So it was me. I wrote about it. But I, yep. I do think there's a, a natural fit I always thought the SEC Big 12 thing, it fits, but I don't I don't love it. I think the SEC is much more natural with the ACC. And if you get a, a Fox deal or an NBC deal and Notre Dame wants to play Big Ten schools and Big 12 schools and it's Stanford and whoever else, if, if Stanford goes independent and they play Stanford and BYU and – Oklahoma State and Michigan and Ohio State and USC, and they fill out their schedule that way. And you kind of get with NBC and Fox and figure it out. And then you're playing Big Ten schools. I, I just, I say much more natural fit to me than being the SEC's lapdog because I think you could have more of a partnership with the Big Ten than the SEC. I think so too, especially if the Big Ten winds up with four or five schools on the West Coast instead of just two. You know, I think there would still be some interest there in, you know, UCLA, Arizona basketball or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, Oregon versus Utah football, whatever the case may be. And, you know, Iowa, Iowa State, they're already Big Ten, Big 12 partners. Kansas, I'm sure, would love to kind of play in that region somewhere. So, yeah, I don't really, I guess, have a strong preference. and And who knows how formal or the extent to which those partnerships will exist. But what I'm still a little bit wary of is I don't want to be the junior partner on the same TV network. I I would still kind of like to make our own way on CBS or NBC rather than being Fox's number two. Well, if it's tier one, if it's tier one NBC and you're playing your, your games like that, but then if, if Fox needs to fill out their Fox sports one, then I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if you're playing, because Fox, if they want to play their big time Fox game at 11 a.m. and that's prime time, and then they want to play a six o'clock game afterwards or shoulder program and play an afternoon on Fox, and that's the Big 12 slot, I'm fine with that too. I like the idea of Big 12 after dark. I kind of hope that I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to kick off at midnight and just yeah. way over exaggerated, but. If they're in your conference and Arizona State versus Utah is at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock here in Lubbock, I'll watch that game for sure. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be up till 1 a.m. watching college football anyway, so I don't mind. Um, also saw some interesting numbers on like how many Big 12 schools and Pac-12 schools were in the top 50 in brand identity. Like the, the remaining schools, once you take out USC, Texas, all that. Yeah. It was interesting to look at that top 50 list, but it wasn't as 
notable to me as Reno Barbecue being in the top 50 on Texas Monthly's list of best barbecue joints in Texas. Of course, our friends, listeners know about Reno by now. Based out in Olton, and now they've got the food truck going all across West Texas. You should follow them on social media. That's where they've got the food truck schedule. And they tweet these mouthwatering pictures of whatever they're cooking that day. Sometimes they'll do something special that's not always on the menu, like a Texas Philly or something like that, or brisket nachos. It's great stuff. So follow them on Twitter, on Instagram, at BBQ, And go check them out in Olton or maybe here in Lubbock. Or if you live in one of these towns surrounding the area in West Texas, they will probably be visiting you soon if they haven't already. Very excited. And um, hopefully... And we'll talk about that later. Don't want to get too far into it right now. We've got a couple questions from the Parlay Picadors from our okay. Discord server. We kind of touched on this last episode, I think, but um, a gentleman who does not care for a particular condiment. Yeah. But not Mateo Nomeo, different guy in the Discord. It says, I'm fully on the Joey train, but to play devil's advocate, if he does fail, what does it look like? Um, long-term or this year? I think like if that hire doesn't work out long-term. Um, I think if that was the case, this year's recruiting class probably falls apart after a week start. Um, and you don't realize the potential that you've recruited to yet. But I, I just – it's hard to get around this hire not working out because I believe in it so much. But I would say uh, quarterback play remains the same. Offensive line play hasn't improved in the next two years. Um, and I guess DeRuiter is David Gibbs. I mean, I, I mean those are all worst-case scenarios. Yeah, I think, and I don't, I don't generally see any of that happening. Yeah, this is kind of like answering what will it take for Kansas to win the Big Twelve? Because I just, I can't really articulate a sincere argument for this one. But yeah, it would be the recruiting falling apart a little bit, or them just like missing on evals, guys that they think are going to be good college players aren't, and that Joey is too far. Like I think you have head coaches like Cliff that are they're X's and O's guys. They're not culture guys. They're not program CEOs. They're not recruiters. And then you've got the opposite of that. You've got Joey, who's not a big X's and O's guy. He's a relationships guy, a recruiter, a culture builder. And so if he can't ever get the right coordinators in place to run the X's and O's, even if everybody loves each other, the chemistry is there, the team believes in each other, if you're getting outworked on the X's and O's. But again, I think DeRuiter has a good resume as a defensive coordinator. I think Kitley is definitely one of those big on the rise offensive coordinators who's going to do a great job. So I think that's how it would fall apart if it did, but I give that like a 1% chance of happening. I mean, DeRuiter has had success everywhere he's been. Mm -hmm. Like he revamped A&M's defense. He revamped Cal's defense and then was good in Oregon. I I just, I, I just, it's almost breaking my brain trying to figure out a way that it won't be successful because 
we've been so positive. But speaking of Jerry Maguire, went to uh, Cardinals this week and got uh, Dave Campbell's magazine signed. Uh, met Joey. I had not met him yet, so I met Joey for the first time. Gave him a Gaucho shirt, and I, I we talked for a second. He's you know being nice and signing the paper, signing the magazine. He's like, hey, coach, I'm Rob Bro. Nice to meet you. He's like, oh yeah, good, good to meet you. It's no idea who I am. And then I popped that shirt open. He's like, oh okay. And then he kind of got it, and it's like, ah, oh, it's these guys. But I guess he was expecting Kyle to come out with the the Gauchos merch because he knows you and you two are long term friends. Something like that. He does follow me on Twitter. Yeah. yeah he follows your personal, but uh, can't get a follow on the Gauchos. We need to we need to rectify that. I think he might. I'm just speculating here because he's liked and retweeted us before. I think he is maybe a little bit wary of associating himself with sports gambling in any way. Oh, he's maybe being overly cautious on that, but maybe. I don't know. Or maybe because we've got like Matador Club in our bio because we promote the patreon link which is right i don't know or maybe he doesn't want to follow us who knows yeah maybe he just maybe she doesn't want to follow us uh, but he, but like, he, he likes event, our content i thought the event was really good and i thought cardinals did a good job uh, they set it up back by the texas tech section so you kind of got to do the whole you know you the whole half of the store if you've been in there they have like the wooden track around so they have a middle section and an outside section so that was all full when i got there uh, and I didn't even get there till about an hour in. So still full an hour in. I bet he legitimately signed five, 600 things, uh, magazines, people had helmets. The guy in front of me had a helmet signed by Leach, Tuberville, um, several players. Uh, they had like 17 signatures on this helmet. It was awesome. Um so I thought that was a really good event. Shout out to Cardinals, the food trucks out there. It was a really cool thing. And, and Joey was there. Uh, some support staff was there. Dowdy was there. Gio was there. Uh, Cochran, Coach Cochran and his family were leaving when I got there. Uh, I'm assuming Coach Hamby was there, but I just talked to his wife. I did not see Coach Hamby. Uh, we go way back. Shout out to Devin. Uh, and then... Tim, I wanted to – this is why I'm bringing it up. You're looking at me like I'm just rambling. Uh, Tim DeRuder was there. And, like, every, every coach that shows up is all decked out in tech stuff, right? Tim DeRuder is in, like, in a nondescript blue polo and khaki shorts. Nobody knows who he is. He's just, like, shopping, <laughs> just like shopping around Cardinals. I guarantee you Tim DeRuder could go anywhere in Lubbock right now and nobody would know who he was. I, I wouldn't recognize him. That's that's what he wants. When yeah. like uh, the strength and conditioning coach was at the Matadors game one night, and he's just walking around. Nobody knows him. Of course, I recognized him and said something to him. But it's just funny these tech coaches. Joey couldn't go anywhere in Lubbock without being recognized, uh, and I'm sure Zach Kitley would get recognized a lot more. Uh, Hamby played here, coached here. Um. He's back. I'm sure he might get recognized some, but a bunch of those guys wear the double T everywhere. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was funny that Tim DeRuder was at a tech event, just like in a nondescript polo. I just thought it was a uh, funny to note. That is funny. And like, if anybody knew who it was, I'm sure they'd be asking for his autograph too, which is why he was, <laughs> he wasn't decked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
did we ever find somebody with an extra copy of that magazine for our Twitter follower who wants uh, one for her dad? I don't believe so, but if you have one or know somebody who'd yeah. be willing to part with one, uh, we have a Twitter follower whose dad lives in California, so obviously couldn't make the Cardinals event. Huge fan of Joey McGuire in Texas Tech, and so he was trying to get his hands on one of those. So message us on Twitter or something if you if you know of any leads there. Um, also available at Cardinals, the It's All West Texas shirts. Probably our most popular Twitter bit. And now you can, everywhere you go, tell everybody that it's all West Texas. It's all I West Texas, man. Don't think those were in store yet when you were there, but you can order online. We've got the tweet pinned on our Twitter. I think they're just online because they sold so fast. Gotcha. So they might be in store eventually, but right now just get them online. Uh, because they were moving, is what Bradley said. Our contact over at Cardinals, who we love. I think we'll have more Gauchos hats on the way. Yes. Uh, confirmed with Bradley, he reordered the white ones and get a special surprise coming, too. So two hats coming. I don't know if you want to say it or not. Uh, we can wait on it. Okay. I want to give one last shout out to our final sponsor, Diversified Lenders. Check them out at diversifiedlenders.com. If you uh, need some cash for your business or something along those lines, they are Red Raider football owned and operated. Cole Roberts and his dad, Don Roberts. Check them out at diversifiedlenders.com. One last question from the Discord. Okay. Swamp Donkey says, I think a realistic fan would be very happy with six wins in our first season under new leadership. On the chance we do better, what players do you see having a breakout year that would enable a seven-plus win campaign? Can I be really honest? Yes. I'm not going to be really happy with six wins. Same. I'll be satisfied with six wins. I think that'll be fun. But damn it, (laughs) I want success, man. I want eight wins and I'm not going to be, I'll be happy with the, if there's improvement and you see it and Tyler shucks the right decision, he plays all 12 games and you're just not good enough yet to be six wins, but you're better than Kansas. You're better than West Virginia. You're better than TCU. You're better than Iowa state. Like just reclaim what you deserve in the conference. And I think you're a better program than than Baylor, too. Uh, I think Baylor's been there longer right now. Uh, but there's no reason you shouldn't be up there with Oklahoma State and Texas and Oklahoma. And I think it should happen sooner rather than later. Will it? I don't know. And I'm not going to, like, be upset at six wins either. Let's be indifferent on that. But uh, what players stand out? Uh, the quarterback, and I'm just going to say the quarterback because – any of them could do it. I think J.J. Sparkman, Jaran Bradley, and Loic Fungi step up on the outside. Those are three wide receivers I look to have big seasons. I've been on the Trey Cleveland hype bandwagon for years. Maybe that turns into something this year. Uh, but I think defensively, if you have an eight-win season, your defense is what does it. Uh, Tyree Wilson, Jalen Hutchings, Miles Cole, transfer in. He's a big sun gun. Uh, and then the secondary. 
And then like uh, Jacob Rodriguez, Bryce Ramirez, Dimitri Moore, Creshawn Merriweather, these linebackers, because you're going to have to have depth. And then Rabbit, Reggie, and Muddy, I think all. I mean, it's it's not just one or two guys that is the difference between five wins and eight wins. It's it's a unit. Yeah, I, th- I would just look at some of the positions where we perceive there to be some question marks, like outside receiver. Before 2018, had you told me Antoine Wesley was going to have the season he had, I probably wouldn't have believed you. I think all eyes were on TJ Vasher at that point in time to be your top dog. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking back on this season and – like you said, a J.J. Sparkman, a Trey Cleveland, or a Loic Fungi is sitting on 85 catches and 1,400 yards, something like that, um, on top of what we expect from Miles Price. I think that'll play a big part in it. Um, I think one of the bigger question marks on defense is the linebacker position, just because you lost I got a few guys who played a lot of snaps, Rico Jeffers, Colin Schooler. So if one of their replacements you know, turns out to be a headhunter who forces fumbles, intercepts some passes, I think that would go a long way in kind of solidifying the middle um, middle level of your defense. And then on the offensive line, I think people are looking for people to step yeah. up. You know, is that going to be one of the transfers? Is that going to be one of the guys who's been in the program a few years? And like you said, of course, quarterback. You know, you're not going to you're not going to win eight plus games in this league with mediocre quarterback play unless you're Oklahoma State and have Jim Knowles as your defensive coordinator. Yeah, a little bit of a stray there for Spencer Sanders. Didn't really mean it that way, but, um, but yeah, you got to get back to the, you know, Nick Shimanek, Seth Dagey type numbers at quarterback, and somebody's got to be healthy for eleven or twelve games to do that. Yeah, I think there's also usual suspects. I think Tosh Brooks has to repeat what he did, except in more games. I think Sir Roderick has to be Sir Roderick, get six, seven hundred yards, and then obviously Miles Price, who we've talked about ad nauseum. He's got to be a guy who um, can step up as well. Any final thoughts? No. By the time people hear this, it'll probably be August 1st, and Brett Yormark will be on the job. Maybe that means we'll have quicker movement on conference realignment. Maybe not. And if you listen to this in time, Rob and I are renting out a theater at Premier Cinemas Tuesday night to watch Vengeance the B.J. Novak film about a West Texas murder mystery, I think. Yeah, Abilene gets murdered. (laughs) So uh, we're watching that over at Premier Cinemas. I think it's a pretty small theater, so space is limited. But if you want in on that action, message us on Twitter, and we'll let you know if there's still room. Just tell us how many tickets you need, and we hope to see you all out there. So I think that'll be a really fun movie. Sweet. All right. Love you all.